Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, Nick and I sit down with Kelly Hawks, who is a senior paralegal. She is an expert. She doesn't like it when I call her that. She's an expert um, on all things related to the Ontario Tenancy Act. And Bill 84 just went into effect, and there's a bunch of things landlords need to pay attention to around that I think are improvements for landlords around utilities and rent arrears and damages. So we get into all that, and then we ask her a bunch of questions. She goes through them all in detail. So if you own rental property or are thinking of owning rental property, this is the episode for you. And if you are listening to this and you are in the greater Toronto area, the Golden Horseshoe area, and you are not yet a member of the Rockstar Inner Circle, the membership that we run, what the the heck are you doing? You can learn everything about the membership at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member. That's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member. You can send that URL to friends or family members who you think should be a member. We outline all the things that we do there, including our monthly newsletter to members where we share stories of local investors and how and what they're investing in with different numbers of property purchase and cash flow numbers, all the classes that we put on here, all the events that we put on here, everything and all the content and educational material that we share. So you can get details of all of that at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member. That's it with the intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, we are live with Kelly Hawks and Nicholas Alexander Carazza. Uh, that's Nick's full, yeah, I know. Royal, Nick, can you a, hear me? It's, it's a regal name, it's very, re- it's very oh, nice. regal. I don't think I've ever heard that. Nicholas a, Alexander, it just sounds yeah. like a king, a king somewhere for yeah. sure, yeah. It's Nack. Yeah, yeah. I don't want Nicholas. I haven't heard that maybe before. The, <laughs> maybe the Alexander part. Nicholas? I don't know. Just, just let's focus on myself. Kelly. Let's just fo- so I tell Kelly, myself every we, day when I wake up. <laughs> we are fortunate to have your Kelly. If you don't know, Kelly is the master of everything to do with the tenant board, tenant act, tenant act in Ontario and That's the tenant board. You think I'm the master. We, we, cause we've never been able to stump I you. We, we were joking around that we're going to call this the stump Kelly show, but let's just jump into it. Bill 184 came into effect in the summer, September. Uh, so no, this was passed uh, a year ago. Yeah, a year mm-hmm. ago, and um, they've then they had to wait to commission these items that were going to change the act, and uh, some of them came into effect. And now, uh, the ones that are really important for landlords to know are in effect as of September first. So September first, and the big the big ones are what can you tell us about utilities? Yeah, so uh, in the past, you could file an application to the board to terminate a tenancy for non-payment of utilities, but they were not able to issue a judgment to recover the amount that the landlord lost from the tenant not paying. Uh, Now, you can make an application to recover that amount um, through the board, so you can get a judgment. If there's unpaid utilities and the landlord has had to pay them, you can recover that through the board now. In the past, it was only through small claims court. So if you get a judgment, you, then you take the judgment over to small claims. You show them at that window at small claims court. No? Is that what you do? Well, you could do I'm it useless. that way. But oh, you, no. You, you can do it to, online? No. no oh. You have to fill out documents, right? Oh, okay. So depending on what you're going to do. So are you getting to how you would garnish it or something yeah, I'm, like I'm that? Yeah, I'm trying to think. You know, I'm having flashbacks to I had a student rental at York University. 
this girl in there, I think she was running uh, laundry for the whole area. And oh, yeah, the water, yeah, this. the water bills just like went through the roof. Uh, she leaves, but now I'm thinking I wouldn't be stuck with this water bill. I could actually take it to small claims after I've gone to the tenant board. Yeah, so you need the judgment. And then what you're looking to do through small claims is to enforce it. So you're going to enforce it by either seizing assets. In most cases, they don't have that. Uh, but if they do, you could seize assets or place a writ on a property. Say they were a tenant and then they bought a property. Um, or you could garnish their wages. So it's just a matter of transferring that order over to the small claims court. It's a like a document. And what you um, completing the forms and filing whichever enforcement proceeding, so garnishment, writ, whatever it is that you're looking You can to put do. a writ on a property for unpaid, I guess I guess any amount owing, but it just it seems surprising, I guess, for unpaid utilities, and you can put a writ Any on judgment. A so any judgment. What's all. a writ? It's a it's lien. Like a lien. Oh, got it. Yeah, I'm used to liens. Legal, yeah. that the, le- legal language. We're advanced. Oh, this is the sorry. advanced side of the table. I didn't know. Well, lien? Writ. I just figured it out. What I didn't know writ, either. What does writ stand for? It's just a word. It's W R I T. Oh, it's I thought it was a writ like R I T or something. Writ? What's a writ? W W R I T. So it's a writ of oh. seizure and sale. Oh, a writ. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. that's way it's more advanced. Yeah, a lien. Got it. I and you could enforce the sale of the property, but you have to do that through superior court. It's a little bit more expensive. So you probably wouldn't want to look to do that for utilities. Yeah, they're probably not going to let you. Hey, he'll guy owes me 500 bucks. I'm going to force him to sell his yeah. property. Okay, so, but, that, so utilities, that's uh, a big change for landlords for utilities. It is. Now, what about rent arrears after vacating? Yeah, can we just back up to the other point about the utilities? Um, because um, what this this these changes as of September 1st also allow you to do is if the tenant vacates, you can still file an application with the board. In the past, you couldn't. You had to do it while the tenant was still in possession. So now you have a year after they vacate to recover rent arrears or utilities still through the board, which is amazing because it's so much more cost effective. Because, because the, a lot of times you don't know about damages and stuff until after they vacate the property right. anyways, right? And then so. you were only able to go to small claims to do that. Now you can go through the board. You have a year. So this change as of September 1st also applies to damages as Nick's saying? That's exactly correct. Okay. So utilities, rent arrears, and damages. It all applies. So that's, yes. That is a big update. Are, are those oh, the huge. biggest things, I guess, that went into effect? What about the changes to N12 and N13? Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm not so, no, stuff. I'm not so smart. You mentioned that before, and I wrote a little note. <laughs> and, and, and N12 and N13. Well, I don't even know what okay, those notices so are. So this is, this is a change that a lot of landlords need to be aware of because um, N12s and N13s are the notices that are used if um, you are um, – need to take the unit for personal use or for a family member or something like that, uh, or if a purchaser requires the unit for personal use, um, the N13 would be where you're renovating or demolishing the unit. So the changes as of September 1st say that if you file this type of application, you have to also submit with the application every N12 or N13 notice that you have served on any tenant in any of your properties for the last two years. He, what, so yeah, so why are they do, doing that? Because they're thinking that people are getting, like what were they seeing that made them do that? Rent evictions. So a, a number of, so people were kicking them out to renovate, get the higher rents. Yeah. And if they own a number of properties, they would do it multiple times and this will show the pattern in that way. I think or, was, yeah, that's uh, for the renovation piece. And then the other one was when they were um, issuing that notice for personal use in bad faith. So now they'll be able to oh, cause now see, they'll see the history. If you did it at multiple properties, then how yeah. do you intend to move into this unit? 
Oh yeah. yeah. How do you if you own if multiple properties sure. and you're telling everybody in all your properties, I'm moving in, what, or you've done, if you've done that in the last year to multiple properties, I guess the adjudicator yeah. could look at that and say, Hey, look, is this real? Yeah. What? Is, so uh, we have, um, one of my daughter's friend, they just moved back out East because they, once they, 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 the, the owner was going to move back into the property. They were renting. They decided they're like, you know, they started looking for another property and they said, you know what? I think we're just going to move back out East because they can work from home now and stuff. So, that, mm-hmm. so they're back there. And, but we had, we cycled by the house the other day by chance. And my daughter said, Hey, uh, you know, her friend was telling her like, you know, if you go by the house, tell me if anyone's living there. Cause they're supposed to be living there. And it looks like very clearly no one's living there yet. So this is about a, this has been about a month and or she wanted to see if it was up for rent. It's not up for rent. There's no for rent sign at least. It's been about a month or six weeks since they've left. How long does the homeowner have to be able to actually move into the property after they, the tenant leaves? So technically, they're supposed to take possession when the tenant leaves, um, but they could be getting their ducks in a row wherever they're living right now. Sure, so, there's there's going to be some leeway, of course. But yeah, yeah, I would say if you're getting to the three month mark and they haven't moved in, that's when you're going to start asking some questions, and they have a year to file an application against them for bad faith. It's called. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Next next question, Nick. You're good with that one. Yeah. Next question, and this has happened to somebody, um, someone we know. They're renting out a single family home. The people who are renting out the single family home, it was a family of four. They now have nine people in there. There's five other people in there. They they don't know if they're relatives or friends or who they are. And it looks like they're charging rent to these people and renting out part of the house to these other people. Okay. So the landlord is like, well, wait a second. I rented it out to four people. Now there's nine people. So just wear and tear on the house and more people in the house. No complaints yet from the neighbors, but they're kind of expecting that maybe there's going to be something coming. I've been, Nick and I have been through this before, mm-hmm. and I think I know the answer, but is there anything that the landlord or the investor who owns this property can do to get it back to like a four-person family unit? So there's a lot of things that you have to look at in this circumstance. You would have to look at um, whether or not, so the size of the unit would determine whether or not there's an overcrowding issue, and then you'd want to look at the bylaws with respect to that area and whether or not that many people in that space is overcrowding. You also have to consider where these people are sleeping because if they're sleeping in an area that is against the fire code, that's another issue you want to consider looking at. Um, If they're renting it out and they've actually given them leases, then it could be deemed a rooming house and you might not be um, that. That's another thing you want to look at because if your city or the area doesn't allow rooming houses or you need a permit for things like that, then it's substantially interfering with the landlord's rights. So you need to do a lot of investigative work to get some information to see whether or not you can, um, you have grounds to file for termination or uh, whether or not you want to approach the tenant and say, this is what I'm doing. Um, maybe we can make a deal and we can end this tenancy. Um, the other thing is, is if they have occupants like family members or friends, the act allows them to do that. As long as they're not contravening any bylaws, city bylaws, fire codes, things like that, it's okay. Um, but wear and tear on the property is significant, especially if the landlord is the one paying the utilities. There were four people before, and all of a sudden there's nine. There will be a spike. Um, but there's remedies that you can seek if that's what's happening with the property, but it's not a proactive approach. It's a reactive. After you get the bills, going and chasing it. So or it's basically doing a an disaster. inspection and seeing the damage and things like that. 
Okay. Okay. Yes. Oh, don't sound so sad. No, I don't know. No, I, I, there I like are it. remedies. Yeah, no, I there are remedies. Say. No, it was a great answer. I like it because Kelly's got an answer for everything. That I'm just thinking, like, how long does it take to do any of this? Right, yeah, right that's now, what going, going like, through oh, my Okay, mind. so three years from now, you can. Yeah, but if you don't start, it'll never happen. Yeah, good point. <laughs> okay, I think m- many landlords don't understand <laughs> the importance of mediation when we they go to the landlord tenant board, and specifically including or referencing section 78 that you've talked about in the past. So, can you just outline if you get an appointment with the landlord tenant board? Is it still all through Zoom? It is. Okay, so it's if video you get, hearings. Yeah. So if you get a video hearing, how do you get to mediation today, and what's the importance of Section seventy-eight? Okay, so if everybody remembers during COVID, they were sending out case management hearings, which was uh, only a hearing with a mediator and the parties to the application. They're not doing that anymore because it was a waste of time. Nobody felt the urgency of pending eviction because they can't force an order okay so now when you log into a video hearing uh you sign in i'll just walk you through the process so they understand you sign in they ask you at that time if you're interested in mediation there are mediators there they call them dispute resolution officers if you say yes then you can be put into a separate video room with the mediator and see if the parties can either narrow the issues or reach terms on consent this is key because If you're able to reach terms on consent and the order has something called Section 78 in it, that means that if either if the parties default on any of those terms, then the landlord has a right to file an application to terminate the tenancy without notice to the tenant because they're saying you met, you all agreed on these terms, we wrote it down in an order, and now you have to follow it. And if you don't, your tenancy is terminated. Do you have to ask the mediator to specifically include this Section 78 thing? What is it, wording? Or? Yeah, so the mediator, if it's an unrepresented party, they're fairly good about asking you if that's what you want, and then they have to explain it to both parties. Um, but if you have a representative, they should be asking for it. Okay. Okay, and then so mediation is advantageous because maybe you can come to some resolution. Both parties agree. If somebody breaks that agreement, you can move towards eviction without going through a hearing. Right. Okay. You just file an application that says, hey, we had this order, we made these this agreement, and they defaulted, and now we want termination. So they issue an order in writing. The other good thing is that everybody feels like they have the best case in the world. Um, but when it goes before the adjudicator, it could be a different story because there's two sides to every story and the adjudicator has a lot of discretionary power. Plus they have a lot to consider for both parties, um, especially in this time, because they're trying to save a lot of tenancies or give the tenants an opportunity to save the tenancies. So they consider, um, a section 83 issues. Those mean, is there circumstances that they should be aware of that would make them allow the tenancy to continue maybe on a conditional order so the tenant's not allowed to do certain things that is what they want to do so if you go before the board adjudicator um you might not be getting what you want so oftentimes when you're in mediation the control is still within the parties to make an agreement so it will get you what you want and if not then it's corrected the behavior and I guess you, you must deal with some uh, a number of investors or, or property owners that are kind of set in their ways and they go to the mediation. They're like, no, look, I'm owed 5000 bucks. I want 5000 bucks. I don't care. And I'm sure there's probably some advice I would think. I'm guessing that you're saying, hey, look, for time, energy, risk of, you know, of, of, of going to the adjudicator, maybe just kind of it's okay, like take less and just move on from this and try to make something work. Because I, I know when we deal with a lot of investors, some the people that just see things as black and white sometimes with them, you, you kind of want to shake them a bit and say, hey, look, 
there's got to be kind of game on both sides sometimes, especially when there's actual real circumstances involved. And it's not just someone that's like a, you know, has a historical pattern of trying to rip people off or, you know, conning people, that type of thing. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There are some people who do have that mindset. Um, And sometimes the situation calls for that mindset. But um, as legal representatives, we can advise, but we work for them. So we have to do what they tell us to do, basically. They, the way I approach it is if you have all of the information before you, then you can make an educated decision as to what you want to do and what you want to try to achieve. If I've given you all that information and you still tell me to go for it and you don't get it, then that's not my fault, right? So at the same time, certain situations call for, no, we're going we're gonna to play hardball here. We're not going to mediate because you don't, there's been enough of a loss, enough of a damage where you're rolling the dice that you're going to get an 11-day termination rather than giving them a chance. Yeah. What, what um, I, I'm sure you've been sandbagged sometimes where you're going into something, you think you know all the details and then you're at the hearing or the mediation and something comes from the other side. You're like, uh, so you just... Is it just, just Absolutely. Po- is it just poker face at that time? You're like, oh. Uh, uh, no, usually you ask to stand the matter down so you can speak to your client. Um, but that has happened. It's so that, funny that, that you say that. That must be the worst, no? Because yeah. then you're just like, oh, I, I, like, why didn't you tell me that? You yeah. Know? So. yeah, usually that happens um, if like the other side doesn't submit supporting evidence to yeah. it. Because I've had them where a landlord has said, no, I didn't get paid this rent or uh, they didn't fix this. And then uh, when the evidence comes, there's a receipt of payment that they gave and they're like, oh, I forgot. Or they're like, "Um, no, it was late. So it wasn't like they make excuses. But at the same time, um, that only happens usually if someone doesn't submit the evidence to support their position because you have to do that ahead so that you're not like I can just imagine how much fun that would be. The next one I have for you is uh, tenant disturbing the peace. The city reaches out to the owner of the property, so the landlord, saying, hey, if this isn't rectified, we're going to fine you $5,000. And then the landlord kind of freaking out, thinking, oh my, well, it's not me disturbing the peace, it's the tenant in the property. Are they misunderstanding that notice? Is the city just saying to them, you have to start some action to correct this situation? Well, the city has no authority to issue that fine against the tenant because they're not the property owner. So they have to start somewhere. And I I feel like if the, um, and I know this has happened before, if the landlord is taking appropriate steps and keeping in contact open communications with the bylaw officer or whoever the authority is that has issued this ticket, um, they can only do so much as long as they're addressing it and following the proper steps. I don't think that they would actually go ahead and issue the fine, but they have to start. Somewhere. So it's the city the just saying, Hey, listen, we want some action here. If you can yeah. go back and say, Hey, got the notice I'm issuing whatever form it would be an N five or yeah, N six. Depending on what piece. it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Disturbing reasonable enjoyment or whatever's happening there. Um, then you're, you're kind of taking the right path and you're off the hook for that $5,000. Well, you would have to continue to follow through. Yeah, you would have right? to take that to completion. Yeah. Okay, so that yeah. one's pretty straightforward. Yeah. Um, what about this one? Tenant declares, uh, tenant stopped paying rent six months ago. They declare bankruptcy three months ago. Mm-hmm. So they stopped paying rent six months ago, but three months ago, they declare bankruptcy. Now, as the landlord who's owed rent, are you just lumped in with everyone else trying to chase for missing rent? Or can the landlord tenant board say, well, there's a three month window there before bankruptcy and we, you know, here's the order that you can go and garnish future wages or something like that. How's that one handled? Um, That's a stump Kelly question because that's one that I would definitely have to look into. My 
what I know at this moment about that without verifying it, because I would definitely have to research that one a little more. So you wow. can check that Oh my that gosh, off. we got stumped. We stumped Kelly. Holy first time ever. Yeah, until tomorrow For, morning when she yeah, comes back with the yeah, answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Here's um, the 5,000 word answer to, the, to this question. Yeah. If you have a judgment, you're going to be in the lump of all the creditors that are waiting to see what's left when the secure okay. creditors are paid out. Um, yeah, it doesn't. So it, it could stop the process if you were in court, um, if they provide this information. Um, and again, I'm going to stop there because I would have to look into more of what the that's fair board is supposed to but do. But basically, it sounds like you're lumped in with everybody else is what that's I'm hearing. That's pretty much what yeah. it comes down okay. to because you can't get blood from a stone, right? Yeah. Yeah. You can't. Okay. Okay. They don't have the money. No, no, agreed. How much are you going to spend to pursue it? I guess yeah. if it's a lot, a six months worth of uh, rent could be a lot, depending on how much of the monthly totally. rent is. Yeah, and to everyone, it's a different amount of money. Right. For At sure. that point, what you really want is to stop the loss by terminating the tenancy and then figuring out whether or not you're going to be yeah, able to got recover. It. Got it. Right. Okay. Um, what about landlord tenant board updates on how long it's taking to get an? order, I don't know if I'm using the right language, after you've had the hearing. Because right now, if I'm remembering you correctly, we're getting a uh, we're getting the hearings in a couple of months. Couple yeah. months yeah. And then after the hearing, if the adjudicator has to take it away, mm-hmm. how long until we get the order? And what's the roadblock there? Because I'm hearing some horror stories, but I don't know if those are just fringe stories and 80% of everything is happening in real time and working, or is there a bigger problem here? Um, so that's a tricky one because it's inconsistent. It depends on a number of factors. A, uh, how experienced the adjudicator is, uh, what their workload is, how many hearings they, like how many, um, complicated matters they heard that day, what type of matter it is. If it's a very complicated matter, it seems to take longer for the order, especially when you're going to, um, attend a a hearing block. So they're done in blocks, either morning or afternoon. If you're, uh, certain types of applications, it's a whole day. So you could, they could see 70 matters, 50 matters, 40 matters, and they have to review all of the, uh, terms of the act, all of the evidence and everything to make their decision. So I can tell you right now, very few of them are what's called delivering their decisions from the bench, meaning, um, thank you. I've heard all the evidence. This is what my decision is. They're not doing that um, at the hearings. So you're left to so many different factors to figure out how long it's going to take for your order. And I've that- had some come out so fast. I was like, wow, that's been 10 days. That's great. Um, other ones I've had to make multiple um, inquiries with the board to find out what the heck is going on with it. And then if you know who to email, um, then you usually get a fairly quick response, but then it's them giving the adjudicator a nudge that this has been three months since that hearing. So squeaky wheel kind of thing. Who, who do you email? Uh, you would want to email the, one of the vice chairs. Okay. Um, oh, so you just go on the landlord tenant board's website and find one of the vice chairs. Yeah. Got it. And say, Hey, listen, this has been from this date. It's getting a little yeah. long. Okay. Okay. What, what was the wait for a hearing before, before COVID? The wait for a hearing before COVID was probably two months. So about the same. Maybe so so they've caught up. Yeah. So, but there's still a backlog of cases? There is a backlog of cases, yeah. And uh, what I would like to see them change is the only thing about having um, the mediation at the same time as the hearing is it's very time-consuming because the tenants have an option for free duty counsel at a hearing too. So when there's 40 cases to be heard and every tenant wants to speak with tenant duty counsel, 
you're just waiting. You could wait for two hours um, until your tenant gets to speak to duty counsel. Then you want to go to mediation and you're in the line for mediation. So a lot of times the adjudicators are popping into the main video room saying, are there any cases that are ready to go ahead? And I feel bad for them because then all of theirs are jammed into the the latter portion of the hearing block. And then some of them don't get heard. Like a lot of them are being adjourned because wow. it's overflow. Um, so we raised a lot of these issues at the stakeholders meeting with the landlord tenant board because they they did a zoom there were i think something like 300 legal professionals who appeared um and it was you know there were a lot of takeaways for them i don't know what they're going to do to make those changes but there's certainly a lot of voices telling them that this should change because there's no possible way for them to con- like to beat back uh, the, the volume from the delays during COVID and then address the new ones that are coming in. It will forever. It, yeah. yeah. It's weird, so, it's weird when people take a, a, an in-person process and just put it on Zoom and do, try to do it the exact same way. Like it doesn't, it's not as effective. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't work that way, right? That's right. And then there's moderators that run the thing. So in the past, when you were going in person, you could go up to the person and say, do you want to have a chat? Let's see if we can work yeah. something out. This way you're waiting to be put into a video room. You're interrupting their attendance uh, taking. Um, you have to raise your hand and wait. And in the past, we could get a lot of it done first yeah. and then maybe go before the mm-hmm. adjudicator and then go to the next room. Um, but we're so dependent on the whole process to do anything um, that it, it is it's very time-consuming. Yeah. But everyone can do it from their couch. Thank you forgot to say that. Yeah, and you get to see a lot yeah. sometimes. Yeah, I'm sure you see too much. Okay, how about this one? Tenants, <laughs> oh who, who uh, the, the person who owns the property the tenant's renting from comes out and says, we're selling the property. And the tenant then responds saying, oh my gosh, will you not sell the property if I agree to pay more monthly rent from you? Is that allowed in Ontario? And what are the dangers of that because to me i always think it's absolutely allowed tenant wants to change the amount they're paying in rent let's rip up the old lease have a new lease in place new dollar amount they sign i maybe take a video so i show there's like this isn't some coercion thing it's really done everybody at everyone's free will and we're good to go but i have a feeling you're going to give me a very different response um, yes and no, okay. um, because if you're going to do that, you would want to make sure you have all of those things that you said to show that it was not uh, under duress or um, that it was truly on consent because they can agree. Um, but if I was the landlord, I would. So I always try to think ahead. Like if this was in front of an adjudicator, what would they want to see? Would they see that the, the balance is fair here or would they see that uh, the landlord now, all these landlords are just going to start approaching tenants and saying, I'm selling the property unless you agree to a higher rent. If that's the conversation, that's not going to be on consent because that's a condition. That's I won't sell if you agree. Um, if the tenant proposes it and the parties can agree and it's very clear that it's on consent, um, and perhaps maybe the landlord could, um, well, yeah, no, you would definitely have to be able to prove that it was on consent because here's what, what could happen. Six months down the road, the new rent is too much for these people to handle and they can't pay the rent. So then you serve an four, then you get to the hearing and then the tenant says, well, they illegally increased the rent above the guideline. Plus there was a freeze on right now, a rent freeze for, mm-hmm. for this year. It's only effective for next year. Um, how do you think that's what you have to ask yourself 
what would you need to show them that it was on consent? So I guess I would need a video from the tenant asking the tenant to clearly articulate that I didn't approach them to increase the rent. This was their idea. So could the tenant please state that it was their idea to approach me and that I I guess I would also need some sort of proof for the adjudicator that I really was going to sell this, that this just wasn't, hey, I'm going to sell the property and then me crossing my fingers, hoping the tenant's going to maybe respond to me, that maybe I had a realtor involved and I had comparables and here's my reasons yeah. for wanting to sell this property yes. so I could explain to the adjudicator no, I'm not selling. And because they're going to increase the rent, this alleviates some situation for me in, in the reason I was selling. So yep. this all is on the up and up. Yep. So I would need all of those things. And even then, the adjudicator might rule against me. They may or may not. It would depend on all the circumstances. And they may say that um, they may you might be able to reach some kind of agreement where you come back from that increase to a mutually agreed amount that is in an order. Um, or the other thing is, is, is it past a year? Because if it's past a year, it's deemed a legal, a legal, not an illegal rent increase. So if 12 months has passed, too bad, so sad. Um, this is, this is. Agreed. I didn't know that part. I actually yeah. didn't know that part. Yeah. So the key is you got to actually be truthful in, in what it is. And, I think and document the, it. And document it, yeah. But that's what the problem is with all this and why so many of this, because so many people aren't truthful. And and like that's why, because some landlords or new landlords will look at these rules and be like, oh, this sucks. Like it's all pro-tenant. But, but, but it's, it's actually not. not. No, I agree. And I agree. But the only reason a lot of these rules exist is because there are there were some very bad landlords. And we've heard a lot, right. of, a lot of stories taking advantage of other people. So you need to kind of put some of these rules in place yep. to protect people. Yes. But I don't see it as pro-tenant either, especially the changes are more... It more kind of evens things out. I I, I, yeah, feel. This, I yeah. agree. And I think that a lot of people who say that don't understand what their rights are um, and what's available to them in certain circumstances. And I can honestly tell you that I've had people come to me where tenants haven't paid rent for, in extreme cases, 10, 10 months and they haven't issued an N4. Like, so how is this unfair to you? Um, there's all these remedies available. Um, it had nothing to do with not getting a hearing date. That would be unfair. If you filed the N4 uh, with your application and you were still waiting for a hearing for 10 months, because that did happen when all the shutdowns happened. But that's unfair, yes. Um, that's a procedural issue that the ombudsman was looking into, that the rules changed because of it. They hired more people. So yes, you got caught up in that in that unfair piece. But when you haven't even issued an N4 or you don't have a lease agreement, how is that unfair? Like, I think the, the key here is understanding what's available to them. And hopefully they gain some information by listening to podcasts or, you know, reading online. Or there's so many resources available for them to understand what what is available to them, which balances out the fairness and the justice of it. It's true. Like... Okay. So the next one I have is, um, this is a, a real life situation that happened recently to somebody, Nick, that we know it's a, it's a legal duplex, top bottom kind of duplex, second suite situation. Tenant upstairs, um, is getting a lot of disturbances from the tenant downstairs. I don't know the details of it, but they're not getting along. And clearly the tenant downstairs apparently is in the wrong. Um, yeah, the tenant upstairs, Clear, clearly, <laughs> apparently, <laughs> clearly, yeah, the legal, <laughs> legal clarity there I know is amazing. Have uh, they been found um, to be in the wrong? Yeah, yeah, no, they okay. have not been found. Yeah, it's their so, position. yeah, it's, that's their position. Thank you. <laughs> um, the, on video in this house, you see somebody, um, it, it, the, the upstairs tenant, I guess, you know, 
pops their head into the downstairs mm. tenants unit, does not put a foot in, just opens the door and pops their head. And I guess to, 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 to maybe you said, Ooh, so that's, to, a, to prob- confront, that's a problem right to away. Confront, and then just closes the door, does not take a, a step, just literally puts their head and looks around, goes back out on the video. You can see the upstairs tenant kind of storm out and, you know, attack the uh down- i've heard this story oh really yeah well it's somebody that maybe we all know but let's not okay. let's no, not I'm use not names let's not I'm use not names allowed. here yeah. i'm not allowed yeah, let's not use names here <laughs> no, and, but- and it is is when when that so this situation now the upstairs tenant i guess has been physically assaulted that's the position of the Upstairs tenant. I think there's video evidence of that. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, I'm not sure <laughs> if it was totally the on the video or oh, not. No? Some of oh. it, some of it looks like it goes off video a little oh, bit. Okay. Um, but uh, were the police involved? The police were called okay. afterwards, I believe. See, this is a horrible question. I'm just curious when this kind of situation, when there's physical altercations involved and somebody popping their head into someone else's unit, what comes to mind for you? Okay. I know there's not enough detail here to really make. Right. No, Any that's okay, because I got enough of it. Yeah, there's okay. some meat there on the bone. Okay, I can deal okay, with that. Okay. So when you're in an apartment building and there's all these doors down the hallway, and um, if you walk up to someone's door and open the door and poke your head in, what do you think that is? Yeah, trespassing. That's right. So if it's a legal duplex and there's a door dividing the two units and that is a door for the entry to the other tenant's unit, that's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. sorry but no no got it so then anything anything no no but i'm just thinking if it's just the reaction then it comes to the criminal side the reaction for someone closing the door and leaving does someone have the right then to go and actually physically assault someone because i think the police said then somehow it could be considered self-defense because someone had put in their head maybe but it's up to a judge because if the guy had closed it left and was walking down the street and he found him 15 minutes later that's true versus 20 seconds later you know what i mean then it goes to like yeah so not a good question so the other thing is is what's the history of these two people because if they've established a relationship where that was a common thing but right now they're arguing so there's a lot of factors to look at right because then it might not be considered trespassing because they've created this historical behavior that it was okay or if you open the door and threatened him jeez that's different right that's a mess okay um ontario standard lease but now now everyone knows what this type of stuff that you have to deal with sometimes yeah (laughs) welcome to be a a landlord in ontario (laughs) in the world welcome to Um, getting lucky investing in real estate oh jeez yeah (laughs) yeah look how lucky you are the prices went up yeah do you know what i've dealt with over the last freaking 20 years um the, the, uh, the on ontario standard lease what is the importance of actually using it because to my shock and horror you're telling me some people are still not using the ontario standard lease yeah what is the you know the, the ontario standard lease is a pdf document that we can all download and use it's pretty straightforward yep if you're not using that on a new lease sign today what happens so technically it's one of the reasons that a tenant does not have to pay rent that's huge. So if they request a copy of the mandatory <laughs> Ontario shit. standard lease and it is not provided to them, they do not have to pay their rent. Until but then do paid. they have to sign the lease? If it's not provided to them within a 30-day period, then they can technically terminate the tenancy without notice to the landlord. There's all these things that people don't understand. Um one of the biggest things is that the second thing is is that this document is very simple it's simplified yes the wording sometimes is confusing to people and some of the sections they don't understand what information they should like input in there Um, but if you truly look at it and um, figure out 
based on the type of property that it is, it's it simplifies the process for you because it has everything in there to make it um, a solid contract. And people are still not using it. I've seen homemade ones from 2020 or the real estate ones, uh, the Oreo ones still. Um, yeah, we, get, we get those in the office. I'm like, you know, you have to actually, you can use that now for the agreement, but then you actually have to put it onto the standard lease afterwards. Yeah, the problem is, is once it's given in that format, um, to the, you can't force them to sign yeah, another one. Fair. So just start it out from the beginning. Well, it's a lot of the times when we're listing a property for rent, mm-hmm. it's it's the other side that's bringing that as like an offer almost. And they kind of use use that as the lease. I'm like, well, no, don't do that. Use Put a condition in there saying we can come to the agreement in here and then we can... Then, then upon like the agreement, yeah. we can then trans- transfer it over so that everyone's on the same page. Yeah, yeah right? I see. I see. I didn't know that's where it was coming that's a, from. That's how they bring it because they're not like, it, it, there's a disconnect between the, the like, I guess, Oria or Rico and the forms that are being provided mm-hmm. and then the Ontario Standard Lease. Yeah. And then a lot of people were using that Oria form as the lease because- Thinking it kind, it's official because it, it says ser- Oria on the top. Yeah, it kind of serves mm. the same the same purpose. It can, it, you know, it, it outlines utilities and those types of yeah. things. So there's a, there's a disconnect there where they should, and maybe they're taught that now, but, but there's never been like a, a retroactive course to everyone that has a license already saying, hey, make sure you're going and using this now. Don't use the Oreo form anymore. They still publish the, the form right. online on the web forms for everyone to but, use. But regardless, yeah. I thought we were all bound that if keys are changing hands for money for a space that has a kitchen and a washroom that you know, we are bound by the Tenancy Act here in Ontario. So you don't even really need a lease. Like I've always so, lived by those rules. I'm like, you know okay. what? This lease is a bit of a joke because if we change keys for money and you're getting into the property, I'm bound by the Tenancy yep. Act here. So what's the big deal about a lease? So in the absence of a document, yes, it can still be established that there is a tenancy agreement. However, in the absence of a document, if you're the landlord, um, and you don't have that document, the favor of the absence of that document is going to fall in the tenant, in Got the it. tenant's okay. favor. Okay. You're the, you're, you, you should be the smarter one and know better than you That's should right. be able to put it. Yeah, yeah, okay. My position would be, no, I'm joking. Okay. Uh, why? <laughs> it's just uh, really important for them what, to use What it. about on that lease though? Cause there's some people that take that lease and they add, they have their schedule. Like, cause I've seen different people like, Oh, I'll sell you. I'll, I'll not sell you. I'll share my, uh, my schedule, my clauses with you. You can put these in your lease, and some of them are outrageous. And just, and I know, yep. I know the answer to this. I just, just want to clarify for everyone listening: you can put whatever you want in that lease, but if it's not legal, you can't hold people to those terms that you're putting in that in the addendum or the schedule, I guess, to the to the yep. lease or in the margins. Um, you can put terms in there that, like, there's a certain terms that I've seen in there that there's no um, issue for putting those in there. The, the board is just going to say that's unenforceable. But where you run into the problem is if you fill a contract with a whole bunch of terms that are not enforceable and you're trying to um, mold the tenant to do certain things by all these terms, then it becomes about tenant rights. And that's where you don't want to get into an application for tenants' rights because of all these terms that are put in the lease agreement that either are A, unenforceable or against the tenant's rights. Okay. So that's the problem with just doing the whole lump sum, here's all my... So what about some, something clauses. as simple as tenant <clears throat> agrees to cut the grass? 
That's it. I write it in the margins of the Ontario Standard Lease. They initial it. I initial it. Is that okay? Yeah. So, so that's a very good question because that one comes up a lot. Whose responsibility is it? So it is technically the landlords, but parties can make agreements to do that and that's fine. Um, but if you're going to do that, then you should also have something in there that says, if the tenant no longer wants to do it, this is how they have to notify me because here's what I've seen. Tenant agrees to do that. Um, then the grass doesn't get cut because some life circumstance changes and the city comes by and issues a notice that it's over 20 inches high and Mm -hmm. it's not done. So then you issue the notice that the tenant said they were going to cut the grass and then the board says, but that's the landlord's job. And then you show them the lease agreement. Well, how is the tenant supposed to notify you if they don't want to do this anymore? So I would just dot my I's across my T's and put in there if the tenant changes their mind, they need to give the landlord X number of days notice in writing. So that they okay. can make arrangements okay, to have so it done. you need this stuff yeah. done properly and yeah. worded properly. Is it still the landlord's responsibility to take out the garbage? To take out the garbage? Yeah. That's what I, I thought I, I learned once. That it's like you can't actually enforce the tenant to take out the garbage. So if there's, let's say there's a detached garage on the property, they could essentially just load it up in there. No. No? No okay. way. Okay, okay, good. That's good. And what about on the Ontario Standard Lease, the benefit, because you always talk about this, and I think it's important, of getting email consent. Yeah, that's such a good one. I'm glad you brought that up because that becomes even more important now with the changes um, uh, as of September 1st for landlords to be able to file this application after the tenants vacate. If the parties consent to service of notices, as allowed by the landlord tenant board so this doesn't mean that n4s can be served by email Uh, those still have to be served by uh, the proper methods and for anyone listening n4 is for late a notice for late rent yes any of the n notices um have to still be served by the rules okay but if you uh the rent increase notice the notice to enter um those things if they consent to be served even this will apply for evidence um, if you're going to a hearing, because now you can submit the evidence by email. If the parties consent and the email addresses are are there and that is the form of communication that they've consented to, then you can simplify the process by using email to contact them or serve certain notices. This is very important. Yeah. Okay. So that's a big new one with the Ontario Standard Lease. That seems to be huge. Okay. I have another question. Yeah. Because if you don't have that part filled out, then you you shouldn't be doing it that way. That's and then right. It's, then it's a problem. Yeah. yeah. But because after because the, by default, people kind of go that way. Yeah, but the biggest y- thing is after they specify. vacate, you can still email them notices to your point. Because you have their yeah. email. Yeah, yeah. yeah, That's right. And you can even specify notices of increase, notice to enter. You can, you can add things in as long as everybody initials and signs the document. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. And then if the adjudicator said, you know, if you went to the tenant board and the tenant or past tenant said, well, they emailed me stuff, but, you know, I left. I don't use that email address anymore. I guess but they would have to prove. To, yeah. yeah. Okay. So they can't argue. What about text messages? Because so much happens by text messages now. We see. I see the threads from people saying, "Look, my tenant said this or, or that." Yeah. It can't, like I know there's the you have a phone number for phone calls. Is text messages? How are those perceived at the board? That's a really good question too, because <laughs> it's a, such a gray area. Text messages have been accepted as forms of evidence um, when you're discussing. Whoops. When you're discussing. Um, Uh, details of whatever incident happened or giving them notice to do things like this and that. Um, But technically, if you're going to serve 24-hour notice to enter, text message is not acceptable. If the parties agree, 
that's fine. Like if the tenant doesn't have a problem with it, but if they deny entry, then technically you haven't served okay. them with proper notice. So anything you're doing formally, you want you want to do it properly by the books in case you need it for some sort of court purposes or something. You need to go back to however you agreed to communicate with them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it's so simple. It's just a spot that you fill out and it just makes all the difference. Th- then can you ignore their text messages and not get in trouble for it? <laughs> so that's another funny. great area <laughs> that's funny it is true because if you're ignoring them about maintenance issues yeah. or about like you can't do that nah, yeah okay okay um but some of them text like late at night or early in the morning and truly business hours unless it's like hey the place is on fire then of course you're not going to be like well it's only eight o'clock yeah. i'm waiting till nine <laughs> some <laughs> tenants we for this. a while i was getting almost daily text messages and then some with videos of different behavior of other tenants it was a disaster anyway um where do you draw the line on maintenance so you know if if the security of the property is not in place doors can't be locked locks of different rooms and that kind of stuff um and appliances and toilets and air conditioning if it was there when they moved into the property i understand that's the landlord's responsibility to fix but I always see this one come up in a shower when mildew builds up in a shower. Sometimes if the ventilation isn't being turned on, you know, the, the, the fan in the shower, the windows aren't open. It's not really mold that's building up there. It's mildew. But people tend to freak out. Is that something the tenant should just take responsibility of and, and correct the way they're handling kind of the airflow in there? Or is that a maintenance request that goes to the landlord and it's the landlord's responsibility to fix that mildew? Otherwise, a tenant could argue that that's mold in the future and things get out, out of control. Where do you draw the line on the meat? Like, how do you know yeah, so what needs to be done and what doesn't really need to be done? So that's a good question. But if so... So you want to think of it this way. If your tenant called you and said, there's mold in the bathroom, you're definitely going to want to go to the property and see what's happening. Sure. If you determine after uh, assessing the issue that the reason why it's it's mildew or that pink stuff that I've seen mm. this in my property management days, if people don't rinse it or if they keep the door shut after a shower, sure, yeah. after time, it does cause some kind of buildup of something, but it's not necessarily mold. Um, so... If, the, if you go to the property and you're able to determine that it's because of the tenant's behavior, then you have an issue that is created because of the tenant. If it's because there's water leaking from somewhere else in the house, then that's a landlord issue. So you definitely have to assess it. So you it. have to assess it and, 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 and keep a record it. that you've assessed it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if you do go and find evidence of mold, the last thing you want to do is not address that because then you get into tenant applications where their health is affected mm-hmm. and all these things. So why not take the time and go out and assess it or send someone out to assess it and figure out if this is caused because of the tenant's behavior and then address it accordingly um, or if there's a, a bigger problem, underlying problem that you need to fix. Got it. Okay. Okay, and then the, the the last one I have for you is around garnishing wages. Um, is there a guide? I think you've mentioned before there's a guide. Is there a guide online for people to follow on how to take an order from the tenant board to... I don't know if it goes like through the whole okay. thing, but when you go on the Ontario uh, Court Forms website, um, all of the documents have instructions how to complete them. And then you can also check out what the process is. So it'll say steps to obtaining a judgment okay. and then you go through like issuing a claim serving wow. the claim like, I like the voice whole, change yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? it sounds like you call in yeah, <laughs> yeah. press three for can, yeah. yeah. can you do our automated yeah, yeah, before yeah, you yeah, leave yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay got it so there are guides if you google that up you'll yeah, kind of find those things there small claims court you can still self self-represent yourself if that's what you choose to do got it right yeah 
I remember when Nick and I were represent. I think we've told you this. We were representing investors mm-hmm. at the landlord tenant board, yeah. not knowing that we couldn't, and yeah. we were speaking well, I've on never their. Never heard this story before. <laughs> really? Oh, oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 All yeah. Tom, that's why yeah. I was like, all Tom's yeah, stories are here. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who I've told these stories to and who I've not told these stories to. Uh, I'm just giving you a <laughs> hard time. <laughs> I'm glad someone else is. Usually <laughs> it's only me. Usually, yeah. See, this is good. Way see story. Face? You know we, what it is? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, really? I get to tell the story used again. He's to me giving him a hard no, time. No, no, no. It's good. It's good. Um, okay, so I got another one for you. This is a more. This is a current day one, and and you've already sent an email about this, but it's around these. It's around vaccines. Okay. So. It, so not in an apartment building, not a multi-unit building like that with kind of separate apartments. But let's say it's, let's say it's a house with two, not a duplex, but a house with a second suite. So an, a, you know, a, a, either a shared entry or, or some sort of entry door like in the middle of the house to go downstairs. So they're living in the same house, and there's someone is in one unit and is vaccinated, and someone is not vaccinated. It can, if the landlord, if the, the one person that's vaccinated complains, they say, hey, I, this, I don't want this person in the house because they're not vaccinated. I don't feel safe. Does the landlord have a right to be able to evict based on those terms? Because, um, sorry, and I'll just, I'll just ask, ask you the next question because I was going to give you a second scenario. The second scenario would be like in a student, a student property with multiple people living in, in the house, just each have, so they have a shared common area with individual rooms. Um, and the same thing, can they evict based on that? No one from the house is, is so no one else is from from the house is complaining, but the landlord is saying like this isn't a this isn't a good. I know good the situation. answer to this one, one hundred percent. Do you? Yeah, do they can't. They can't answer it because what would where is the current state of Ontario law? If if Ontario came no out, law. yeah, if Ontario came out and changed the law and said you have to be vaccinated, but there's no law okay. to point to. So, but but I'm not the authority. No, the act has not changed to. Um, set out any rules about that. So in the absence of that, then you look to the provincial laws and what the bylaws are for the city. So, and then also for student rentals, that question came to me and um, it applies the um, the universities, a lot of them have adapted this program where if you're not vaccinated, you do have to do weekly tests, but that's what the student is choosing, electing to do to be able to go to that school. That doesn't necessarily mean it's spilled over into the outside world. Um, so I would ask them for the authority, which gives them the right to do that. Okay. And if they're not able to provide it, then there maybe it's a tenant's rights application. Yeah, and I, I and I felt the same way hearing this, and I was surprised that this one landlord was taking such a stance against it, especially with no complaints. But I guess that could then change if there's some other tenants in the house then, with the student rental example, that are saying, I don't feel safe with an unvaccinated person around me. can't change. Now, I think what, what but might... I'm just talking, in today's world, this all of a sudden has but, more... But I just know an adjudicator has to rule on the law. So even if some other people in the house are saying, I don't feel comfortable because that other person is not vaccinated, I want them to be... Currently, even if the adjudicator agrees that they should be vaccinated, I don't think the adjudicator or judge has any precedent or law to reference to make a judgment against them. I would have to agree with that. Um, I mean, there's certain things that we have to do to get along in society. We have to wear masks when we go in certain places. And if not, it's it's contravening uh, the bylaws and things like that. But it hasn't spilled into changing the act where it comes to multi-unit residences. Look at through the worst part of COVID. There were people in high rises sharing the laundry room facilities like 
and there was no issue there. So all of a sudden they can't. Shock, dis- shocking, isn't it? Well, I thought, it I is. thought they should all. I thought they were all going to die in the if they were in the laundry room together. I don't know. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't. But yeah. Um, yeah, I have not seen any legal authority that has said it's okay to do that. Um, but again, if they were entering into the tenancy knowing that that was the expectation, there might be an argument that they said. I was going to be vaccinated and now I'm not. And well, so it gets really tricky. I know multiple situations where lot. people want to get vaccinated and their doctors currently telling them not to get vaccinated or complete their vaccination if they've had one already mm-hmm. for different medical reasons that they're getting the medical advice for. Mm-hmm. So these people even want to get vaccinated. So how yeah. about if they're in that position where they want to, but are medically being advised they can't. Well, they're but, not actually considered an exemption under the current Ontario yeah. exemption. No, this so is getting, this, yeah. this is where it's it gets ridiculous. tricky. It's no, it's ridiculous. It makes, yeah. it, just so it makes many more, works for, uh, more work for the courts. There we go, Nick. See, it's helping the economy. It's helping the <laughs> lawyer, lawyers and the paralegals yeah, win yeah. again. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, yeah. Um, Kelly, thank you. Is there anything else around? I think we covered all the, the basics that we wanted well, we to cover. We had a list of like 40 questions. No, I just you wanted go to get through, through it. I don't know. I, I had some questions I wanted answered. Kelly's the master at this stuff. Kelly, thank you. Is there anything You're else that welcome. we uh, should be covering that we haven't covered? Uh, not that I can think of at okay. this time. I mean, we've talked so much about all the different changes and things like that. Those are the highlights that I just wanted to make sure that everybody was aware of because who, you can definitely benefit from those as landlords. Who do you work with and how do they find you? Who do I work with? Yeah. I have my own firm. Uh, it's KH Paralegal Services. I've been licensed since 2012. Um, I can be contacted through my email at www... No, sorry. <laughs> K- Kelly at khparalegal.com. My website is www.khparalegal.com. khparalegal.com. Yeah. Yeah, we appreciate it. And I think we've shared this in the past, but you've helped so many rock star investors over the years. I think you give people a comfort knowing that they can call you. When Nick and I didn't have a resource like yourself, Kelly, and we would, you know, different people would say different things to us we would just freak out especially in our 20s when we didn't really know what was going on at all um if we had someone like you to reach out to and have a quick phone call with it would have really put our mind at ease instead of like days and weeks going by freaking out about stuff thank you so you've really helped hundreds and thousands of investors just through rockstar alone so thank you yeah you're welcome and you know what i love working with the rockstar group because um it's sometimes hard out there when there's so many cases and you just feel like I wish they knew more and I wish they knew that this these were their rights and you guys are going above and beyond to make sure that 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 information is available to them and it does make a difference it really does because even when I talk to a lot of them they're like I know this and I know this and I know this but I'm not sure about this and that's a tough question that they've asked so they've already got the base um, the foundation to start out the right way. So it is making a difference oh, cool. and, and it's it's really nice to see. Yeah, and, and really I think your niche of expertise here is hard to find, it's hard to find people. like Because maybe this is your world, maybe you don't recognize that, but I'm telling you for many people who aren't in your world, mm. it's hard to find resources who have your level of experience and expertise. Oh, so keep, Yeah, keep doing what you're doing. So khparalegal.com, thank you so much. Really appreciate this. No problem, thanks, thanks I enjoyed it. Yeah. Hey everyone, hope you enjoyed that chat with Kelly Hawks. I'm just checking her URL. It's khparalegal.com. So if you want to reach out to Kelly and you um, this is the first time that you're coming across Kelly, her website is khparalegal.com. 
www.kellyjohnson.com. Her contact information is on there. Thanks, Kelly, so much for sharing all that great information. And if you are listening to this and you are not a Rockstar Inner Circle member yet and you want to check it out or learn more about it, you can do that at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member. We have all the details of the membership listed there for you. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms.